John 4, 43 to 54. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of God. I remember when I was not a Christian, one of the selling points of Christianity was supposed to be all you need to do is believe. It sounds so simple and one of the appeals for somebody who's maybe not wanting to radically change their life uh, when it's presented that way is, wait a second, I get all of these things, forgiveness, life after death, and not much is required of me. Are there certain foods that I'm not supposed to eat? Do I need to go out my beard and change my clothing? Is there anything that would make me a religious person? And the idea is, no, just believe. Now, actually, that is part of the genius of Christianity, that it is focused on faith, and therefore, you don't need to be um, uh, super smart, you don't need to be successful, you don't need to have lived a perfect life. So part of the appeal is really come as you are and believe. But for any of you who have tried to live by faith, you realize that actually, um, it's, it, it, at times it feels a lot harder. So just believe sounds easy. But, but you get to periods where, where you realize you're, you're not a very trusting person or, or belief is easy when you understand, but in those periods where you don't understand, uh, or God puts you in a situation where you um, don't like the situation you're in and yet you're still called to trust, in those moments it could feel easier to just not eat certain foods. Um, or just to put on certain clothes, which again, part of the appeal of that, you know, in some religions, you, uh, you'll look like a holy person. You, for some of us, that feels like it would go against our individuality. But actually, if you're looking for a changed life, to show up with changed clothing could feel empowering. I feel like a different person. I present as a different person to the world. The problem is, though, in the complexity of life, as you go through life, you realize that, that not eating certain foods, doing certain religious practices, wearing certain clothing is not enough because at the end of the day, you still lay on your bed with your own problematic thoughts and your own fears and your own unbelief. And those things can get you far. It could, it could help you feel like you're improving in life, but all of those things eventually fall short. When Jesus invites us to faith, it's not that there's nothing to do, that there aren't specific changes or positive changes, but he's calling us to something much more enduring, which is that there will be seasons of life where if you really are going to grow, you will have to 
um, trust that there are things you don't understand or can't make sense of or to recognize your own limitations. And, and therefore, the, the call to trust and to follow Jesus actually creates the possibility of enduring and deepening um, as we mature, because otherwise, uh, whatever we do, whatever ethical program, human program, religious program, at some point we reach the limitations of. So today we're looking at one of the signs that Jesus does, one of the miracles. John, who writes this, calls it a sign um, to make clear that, that God is trying to point us to something. He's trying to show us something. And John refers to this as the second sign that Jesus did. That's uh, in verse 54. But it's, it's clearly not the second uh, miracle that Jesus performed. But as John is telling the story, we began our sermon series at the end where, Je where, where John says, Jesus did many signs, but these are written so that you would believe and by believing you would have life. Um, so even um, there's indication here, verse 45, the Gentiles welcomed Jesus because of all that he did in Jerusalem. And in John chapter three, when he's talking with Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes interested because nobody would be doing the things you're doing if God wasn't with them. So Jesus is doing things that demonstrate the power of God with him. But John is telling the story, to, he's, he's numbering the signs, one and two, then you're left on your own from here on in to figure out which are the seven. Uh, but he's numbering the signs to say, now this is the second thing I'm showing you. And one of the things that the first two signs have in common, the first one being turning water into wine, the second one being healing a dying boy, is that in both cases, uh, there is this running out. So with the uh, the wine at the wedding, it's not actually tragic. If you were the one paying for the wedding, the wine running out wouldn't be a problem if the, the most efficient thing at the very end of the evening, the last person who asks for a glass of wine and then the bottle is poured, that would be the ultimate no waste. You don't have 50 extra bottles that you paid for that, uh, that then you can't use. The tragedy in uh, John's gospel is it says the wedding is starting to get going, the wine runs out. So now this is humiliating to the family who sponsored this. The fear would be this is an omen. Is this a sign that um, of what's going to happen in the marriage? And so Jesus intervenes at that moment with a greater abundance of wine. He comes into what would have been a social tragedy uh, for the particular family when things run out and there's nothing they can do. And there's a sign that his presence, you know, so John is writing about the whole of creation has gone out of order. Things are, are disordered and running out, but Jesus coming is going to make things new. So there, uh, a wedding that should be a celebration was turning into uh, a, a, an awkward moment, and Jesus' presence turns that around. Now we have a healing miracle where there's a young child who is at the point of death. Now the whole topic of death is is fascinating how... Um, all of us know we're going to die, and, and yet it's so hard to understand what it is, and so we explain it the best that we're able. It's natural. So when, when an elderly person dies, we miss the person, we don't understand it, but we deem it in the category of this is natural, this is normal. We just accept that. We have to. What choice do we have? But when a young person is dying, it confronts us with just the awful reality of death. Why, why this? Why before it's time? So here again, uh, you have wine that runs out early in the wedding festival. Now you have a, a life that's running out long before it's time. And the sign of Jesus being present is that he is making a difference in these situations. And so one of the things that John wants us to see as he tells this story 
is that the response of the official, the father of this child, was faith. And that's something we're, we're to take away. Why is Jesus doing these signs? Well, John tells us, in order to help us believe, because it is by believing we have life. And yet, most of us find ourselves in situations, some of you, uh, maybe you find Christianity appealing, but believing in Christianity is hard because it doesn't make sense. And therefore, rightly so, you don't want to um, do something stupid. Um, but, but a lot of times you find yourself, you do the reading, you do the academic work, the intellectual work, and you realize actually there's something here that makes sense. Um, but day by day, really trusting, following, uh, at times it's easy when we feel like we're in control of things, when we understand, when we agree with it. But at times it's really hard. And yet to really grow, to really change, to really experience life, it will require seasons of trusting. So what I want to talk about today is how we deepen in faith. Uh, faith is, is simple, um, but we're meant to grow, we're meant to deepen, to have the kind of faith that really does uh, strengthen us, really does change us. So what I want to do today is talk about uh, some of the shifts that happen with faith, where you move from where you are to a better place, um, based on what we see in this passage. And so the first thing I want to talk about is moving from testing to needing. Moving from a place where we're testing God to recognizing that actually we need God. That's one of the things that we can draw out of this passage. Now, testing is natural, meaning we live in a world where lots of people are saying, believe me, follow me, I could give you this. And so Jesus showing up and saying, trust me um, most deeply, it's understandable that any of us would say, well, I need more than that. <laughs> I need some criteria. Um, and surely enough, God knows that. And so he gives us various things. We have the Bible, and uh, there's libraries of books of years of theologians working th through things. And so if you have questions, there's no guilt, there's no shame. Work through those questions. But often what we're doing is um, we're trying to build a life. Most of us are comfortable feeling self-confident, believing that we have a certain amount of control, that we um, that our choices will impact the outcomes. And so, so the best thing is when we have a plan or when we have certain aspirations and a certain confidence that we can move along that. And when we're in that situation, God feels a little bit less relevant. And so it's easy. We have the luxury to be like, do I want to believe in God? Would this be beneficial? Does it make sense to me? And that's understandable, but often a growth point either where we step into the faith or where we deepen in the faith is when we're exposed to our own vulnerability. It's not the only way. There's lots of ways that we grow. But this is a typical way where at some point we realize um, we don't have the control that we thought we have. We don't have, don't have the understanding we thought that we had. Those are, are points where sometimes God starts to feel more relevant not because we're interested in religious things, not because the particular problem is a theological problem. It could be very practical. It could be just a certain decision you need to make in life that has nothing to do with faith. But, but that window into realizing, I need help, is sometimes what forces us to, to shift from saying, is God good enough to be in my life, to starting to ask, oh boy, um, am I good enough that God would actually help me in this area that I'm stuck? That's when we find if God is good and trustworthy, that faith really makes a difference. 
In verse 47, we find that this man comes not because he's just curious about Jesus. He doesn't come with questions. He doesn't come looking to be entertained. He comes desperate. It says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So at this point, Jesus, this official doesn't simply want to ask a few questions first to see if Jesus meets the qualifications. He has nowhere to go. His son is so sick he's about to die, and he's heard from people in the region, this man Jesus was doing all sorts of things in Jerusalem that you would not believe, and so that's what desperate people do. Maybe he can help. So, so he goes and invites him to come down. But then verse 44 and verse 45 uh, gives us the background. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So on the one hand, hey, this is Jesus whose family we know. They feel so ordinary. How could he be anything more than ordinary? But now the opposite problem, he returns to the northern region, Galilee, and word has gotten out that when he was in Jerusalem, he did things that make it look like the power of God is with him. And in our celebrity culture, most of us would say, oh, that's the ultimate honor that people are like, what did, it, could you, did you hear what Jesus said? Now everybody wants to know him. And Jesus is like, I don't want you to know me because you're impressed by me. I don't want you to believe me because you think I could do great things for you. And there again, even in his own hometown, maybe now that people are drawn to him, he's not feeling yet like they're fully honoring him. They, they don't get it. And so in verse 45, it says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. They're moving closer, but they're not there yet. And so when this man makes a request of Jesus, Jesus responds in a way that maybe is a little bit surprising. The man comes with desperation. Can you come down with me to heal my son who's at the point of death? And in verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This man is not asking for something that will help him believe. He's, he's asking for the life of, of his child. The, 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 the comment of Jesus is a little bit jarring. One thing that helps us is to realize that in, in the Greek in which the New Testament was written, you is plural. We just don't have uh, good ways in English to do that unless you're from the South and you say y'all, or if you're from the Bronx and you say yous. Uh, there are plural versions of you. Um, but Jesus says, unless you see signs. And so who's he speaking to? Well, he's speaking to other Galileans, but he's speaking to us. John wrote these things down. Okay, you're here, you're about to see this, and you think you're honoring Jesus because you're now a bit impressed by him. But, but unless you see signs and wonders, often you don't believe. Um, but this man is willing to take the risk and... Um, so he actually has no choice but to believe. A lot of us can be impressed with Jesus but not trust him. And signs in themselves, you go back to the, uh, you know, the book of Exodus and Moses is like, how will Pharaoh believe me? And John, uh, uh, God says to Moses, I will show these mighty signs. And some of them make Pharaoh step back, but at the end of the day, his heart hardens. The sign in itself is actually not enough to really believe. And sometimes we could believe without a sign. But John knows we need help. And so he records these signs. Um, and so um, what happens for this man, the reason that, that he is more willing to just get right to the point, Jesus, can you actually do something for me, is because he's not looking for his questions to be answered. He's, he's looking for the child that he loves to be healed. And uh, 
many of us, there's lots of stories of people becoming Christians at that kind of vulnerability point. You know, your life falls apart in some major tragic way and you have no place to turn. And God is so kind and generous that often he meets us there despite how we've lived, uh, what we think about God. And that really is one of the, the beautiful things about Christianity. There's an invitation to come as soon as you see that this might be right, come. The funny thing is our lives are filled with, with um, signs that we are vulnerable, that we're not as in control. Uh, but we're, uh, those are moments that we, we don't see the relevance of God for them. And so I'm talking about signs uh, that, that we're, we're um, not in control of our lives. We are meant to be in control of our lives. We're meant to learn and to be responsible and to make good choices. But um, sometimes when you're successful at doing that, you don't realize that there's so much more, that maybe you can manage your career well. But as soon as news comes that a hostile nation with nuclear arms wants to attack us, if your greatest hope is self-confidence, you are unprepared for that moment. And so there are so many moments in our lives where we get a window into you just can't control all the elements. And so one example, for, for years I've been trying to conquer how to sleep better. And so I've learned all sorts of things about sleep hygiene. And I've had nights where, where I've done the right thing. All of the things that I control, I have no caffeine after lunch, no looking at devices after dinner, trying to have some wind down routine. And then you lay in bed you hear a mosquito buzzing in your ear. And that's all it takes. It's this tiny thing. It's a mosquito. It's not, it's not a huge tragedy, but I did everything I could to guarantee a, a night's sleep. And now I'm going to wake up in two hours itchy, where every time I doze, I'm going to have this buzzing in my ear. And so you get up and you turn on the light to control the next thing, which undoes the wind down processes. Now you're angry and furious and trying to find this little thing in your room. Life is filled with these reminders that, yes, do everything you can. You don't throw your hands up in the air and be like, that's it, I'm going to do nothing. Uh, no, don't have caffeine. Don't look at devices. But sleep is one of those things that reminds us, actually, we, we can't just do it because we want to, because we choose to. And that's where faith is important because we realize uh, the whole of our lives is filled with vulnerability. And God doesn't seem relevant to a specific goal that we think we could achieve but once we get a window into um, how much God is already working, how much God is protecting, how much we actually depend, uh, then we move from testing God to trusting God. That's actually an important move for us to make. If, God, if you need God to prove himself to you, you may find that though the criteria is there, you're just not able to see it. Uh, it's when you start to hope that God will take care of you <laughs> that then we realize um, there's actually something more important than God meeting my criteria. And that's often a window into finding out why the gospel is good news. Now here's a, a second shift, a second way that we grow, not simply from testing to needing, but from thinking to trying. Uh, from thinking to trying. Now, uh, some people's view of faith is, is it's the exact opposite of thinking. And some people, that's the appeal is, oh, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to think. I could just believe. And of course, that's not what Jesus, Jesus comes as a teacher. Jesus has a lot to say. Jesus has left us a Bible. So we're to listen, we're to learn, we're to think. But the opposite error is to, is to feel that sense that as long as I understand, then I have confidence, then I have control. And some of us will spend all of our time trying to figure it out. 
and then we never get to actually doing. And it is that combination of hearing and doing, of thinking and practicing, where faith deepens. If we're not thinking, if we're just living, believing that um, God will, will be uh, sort of uh, uh, in and around us, that any, any foolish decision we make, God will bail us out from, then we're not thinking. But if we're staying at home behind the next theology book, <laughs> um, afraid to go out into the world because it's just easier to have the next question answered, you're actually not going to really deepen in faith either. It's that combination to, to be thinking and trying and to go out into the world and to to test the ways of God, and when they don't work, to, to then reflect, did I misunderstand? Did I do it wrong? Or actually, uh, now that I'm here, is God showing me something broader? Is God showing me something different? That's where we, that's where we grow. Um, verse 50, it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So Jesus has offered this message to all of us. Some of you won't believe unless there's a sign. At this point, this man needs to act before the sign. So it's possible he could have said, wait a second, you're telling me to go. What if I, what if I travel what could have been 20 miles back and my son's not okay and then you're not there? <laughs> so he could have said, please come with me or give me a sign that I can trust you. But he actually, he takes Jesus at his word. Jesus says, go, your son will live. And he goes, he hears the word and then he acts and it's by faith. What does he know? He could get there and find out that his son was not okay, but actually he believed the word, and the word was true and powerful. He gets confirmation, but there's that moment that he needs to decide, am I going to go back to my home, or am I going to plead with the teacher, or am I going to go and ask if there's another prophet in the region? There's lots of options to him. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And that's important for us to understand because John gives us these signs, not because he's uh, against supernatural faith and wants us to be rational. Um, he's showing us that there, there, God is doing something that we, um, we uh, there's a power in God that we can't grasp and God will show us these things. But on the other hand, some of us get so hung up on the phenomenon of the miracle that then we don't stop to listen or we don't act. We're just looking for the next amazing thing, which is to be entertained. God uh, gives this sign which then confirms the word, confirms the messenger. And so Jesus uh, shows his power, but the man needed to trust what Jesus said, uh, which is why we do believe in a supernatural faith, but a, a faith that's grounded in what Jesus said, what he did, and we believe what he says and we practice it. And so um, doubters are welcome, people who need more. The, the gospel ends with the famous story of Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples. The fellow disciples, we saw Jesus alive from the dead, and Thomas very understandably says, I don't believe it. <laughs> unless I see this sign myself, unless I can touch Jesus, I won't believe it. And Jesus appears and says, okay, Thomas, touch me. God knows our weakness. But in that, he says to Thomas, for our sakes, <laughs> So Thomas, you have now seen and believed, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And so John gives us these signs to say, you really need to see who God is and, and, and the nature of his coming. But you could say, but I'm not seeing it, I'm reading about it, how do I know it's trustworthy? Well, do the work, ask the question, the Bible is trustworthy. But at the end of the day, um, all of these things are meant to help us to believe in the one who came into the world with that power, that what he said is true. And if you trust his word, 
you will find that in the trusting, in the living out, that God will, will confirm for you the truthfulness of Jesus and his message. And so that's hard for us. And some of us, when we feel like we're in control, when we're looking for a religion that suits us, when we're in the mode of testing God rather than needing God, um, the concept of truth becomes a little bit of a game. And so even in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the truth. Therefore, you can trust me. One of the interesting things, one of the things that helps me know the trustworthiness of Jesus is his instructions to his disciples. Let your yes be yes. Don't feel like you have to swear. His urgency to the disciples is be people who speak the truth. Don't think one thing in your mind and have one thing in your heart and say something else. That's what everyone does. But there needs to be this deep integrity. Jesus is teaching us that because that's who he is. So he says, I am the truth. And yet, as John's gospel nears its end in John 18, to Pontius Pilate, he says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And some of you know Pilate's famous response, what is truth? And then he walks away. And it's that thing, when, when, when you're the one who's making the decision about, am I going to crucify you or not? You could claim to be the truth, and I don't know what I do with that. Uh, but there's this, this moment where uh, Pilate is standing before the one who claims that he actually is the truth, and he has not yet grasped the implications of that. And so John writes these things um, because we are to know that Jesus speaks the truth, and he's speaking the truth straightforwardly. If you trust me, if you follow me, I will give you life. I will watch over you. I will lead you. Um, that's really hard for us if we have trust issues, but the, the truthfulness of Jesus uh, is a foundational point. So then as we follow him, he will show us that he is trustworthy. And, and that shift then from just thinking, but to actually going out and doing is often where, where over time, not in any one moment, because in, in certain moments, things fail. It looks like God is not there. You tried to do what you thought was the faithful thing, and it didn't work as you like. But it's over time that you realize that God's truth will, will show itself to you. Um, many of us experience Christianity uh, or we assume that the nature of God saying, hear what I say and do it, is kind of like that show, Impractical Jokers. I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but there's a show with these four guys, and they're wise guy types from Staten Island, and they send, uh, they have these competitions where you'll send uh, one, one out to do all sorts of socially humiliating and embarrassing things, and the person has an earphone in, and the other three are sitting in the comfort of a studio, hysterically laughing at the things that they're telling the person to do. And the agreement is, if you don't do it, you'll lose. And so they'll send the person, and you could, they're doing this all around New York City, which then makes it terrifying. You think, that, you know, I'm just going out for a nice meal, and then all of a sudden, you know, my waiter is going to be one of these guys that, whose job is to, to fall down on my table and uh, creates a little bit of a, a sense in which we live in a bizarre world where, where things are not always what they seem, but they set up these scenarios with hidden cameras and a guy with an earpiece, and they're in the back, hysterical laughing. Okay, now say this, and you could see the cringe on the guy's face. I have to do this, because if I don't, I'll lose. And some of us feel like that, you know, I'm happy to ask the deep theological questions, but when God goes me, tells me, go back into the world, and then tell your coworker that Jesus loves them. <laughs> oh man, don't don't make me do that. Uh, tell me I don't need to eat pork. I can do that. I don't want to show up at work 
And when they ask, what do you do? Say that I went to the church retreat. Um, that's awkward. And so there's this feeling that some of us have, but if I don't do that, I'm going to fail. <laughs> then I'm going to lose. So I, I have to read the Bible, and I have to do it, because if I don't do it, and I know that it's going to be humiliating, but that's part of the deal. God sends me into the world. I need to do these humiliating things, and if I don't do them, then I'll fail. That's a whole different paradigm than what Jesus is inviting us to. The truthfulness, the trustworthiness of there will be times that you will do things that feel embarrassing or feel hard, um, or you have to not do something that you really want to do. The question is, who is the one that's the voice? <laughs> who is the one speaking to you? And it's not like Impractical Jokers. It's kind of like the master class where a musician comes to a city uh, to, to perform this concert and then invites the top musicians the day before and says, come and, and play before me. And you have all these people that can't believe they have the, the honor of standing before this great performer, and, and they're willing to be corrected. They start, and the person stops and says, no, that's wrong. And rather than getting angry, who are you to correct me? They're thankful. This person's going to make me better. Uh, their goal uh, coming there, because they're so impressed by who the person is, is just to have that opportunity to, to get instruction, to have this person offer them something so they could change. That's where faith deepens, when you realize that Jesus Christ uh, the signs show there's something so remarkable, world-changing in him, but, but the words that he speaks are the words of life. He speaks truthfully. And when, when, you, when you move from thinking, is he good enough for me, and I'm finding what he's asking me to do a bit hard, to realizing I really need um, something more sure, something more broad, some, uh, something more meaningful in life. When you start to marvel at the greatness of Jesus, then, while correction is never easy, it always pokes at our pride, while occasionally we have to do things that are outside of our comfort zone, we experience it differently. If Jesus is the master, then there's an opportunity to grow and learn. And when Jesus tells us to do things in our doing, we find that we're getting better. That is different. Um, and so, so we move from testing God to needing God. We can move from thinking to actually trying to live this life based on what we're learning. But here's the last shift of moving from one place to another. We move from seeing narrowly to seeing more comprehensively. Narrow to comprehensive. What I have in view is uh, the question of whether or not God is relevant, useful, helpful, often comes to us when when we have a particular kind of need. Now, some of us just, we look at the whole of our lives and, and, and you just realize, I just need help broadly. And, and God can do that. But often, uh, or that's a, that's a time when God's comfort comes into our lives. But often, there really is a moment where we become focused on one particular thing. I fear that I'm going to get laid off in the next layoff, or I fear that I'm not going to um, get into this graduate school, or I fear that the person I'm interested in won't be interested in me and that, that I will wind up being alone for such a long time. Uh, the various specific things that we want then become areas where we, we have to trust God because we don't have control. You know, if your company is making decisions about layoffs, you could do all you can. You could show up and you could be faithful and you could uh, be open to try to demonstrate all that you've done and why you're still an asset, but the decision is not yours. And so therefore you have to trust God. Sometimes we become focused on one particular thing that without realizing it, the assumption is that's the sign, that's the testing. What if you do this? <laughs> I will trust you, but if you don't, how can I trust you? And, 
And really, uh, uh, the kind of faith that Jesus is calling us to over time has to become more comprehensive, where you realize you can trust God with all of the specific things in your life, but God is doing so much more that you're even aware of. So if there's something where it doesn't seem that God is doing enough, you don't have to draw the conclusion that God is not real, or God doesn't love me, or I haven't met the qualifications, or God is being punitive. But, the, but maturing and deepening in faith is where we grow in the sense that God is taking care of us in, in far more ways than we're aware of. And yes, we bring that focused concern to God, but we bring it in a, in a different way when, when, when there's a trustworthiness to God, rather than, okay, God, for us to get through this together, for me to keep going as a Christian, you need to do this one thing. Uh, the man in the story, the official, he had one specific need, heal my son. He had to believe Jesus at his word. But what's interesting is, as things unfold, as he goes, he finds out that Jesus heard his request. Jesus healed. God showed grace. Um, but, but the way John tells the story, the finding out, shows that um, there was a realization this man had that then lead to, led to him having a deeper faith. So verse 52, the official asks uh, the, the, there are a bunch of servants as he's going who come to meet him with this great news. Your son has been healed. So he never even gets there. Verse 52, the official asked the servants the hour when he, his son, began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So, so here's the scenario. Jesus, can you heal my son? Can you come with me? Go, he will be healed. Are you coming with me? No, believe me. He goes, and then the servants meet him. Your son has been healed. What's one thing you could think? Whew, I didn't even need Jesus. Um, good thing I didn't bother having him come. Um, my son was healed. When he asks, wait a second, when did this happen? And the servants say the seventh hour, verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. See, at this point, he has the, the beginnings of faith. He had to trust Jesus. He was desperate, there's nobody else who could help him. Jesus said, I will do it. And he went, assuming Jesus spoke the truth. And now he's seeing how things come together. Wait a second, at the same time he said it, then it must be not coincidental. Um, it must be that the power of that word or the power of this person somehow healed. It's as he's seeing things come together. And for how many of us, is that how we look back on life? You know, when you're looking forward, you never know what's gonna happen, but you look back and you realize, oh, in that scenario, God had done a number of things. God spared me from saying the thing that I didn't wanna say, or God must have protected me. And the coincidences of, of things that could go wrong, there are so many things in life that could have gone wrong. And you look back and you realize, God has been kind to me by providing, by protecting, by sustaining in ways I didn't recognize at the time. It's as you look back in particular ways and you realize, God is not just there and, you know, with a one-to-one -one correlation. Right now my need is this, God, can you do it? And then if he does it, then I can take the next step of faith. But when you, when you start to recognize God is working in our, in our lives in much broader ways, it creates the possibility that God could do something different from what you desire or expect and still be trustworthy. And that you could come out of challenging situations in life on the other side stronger, having grown, which is not to say that there aren't real tragedies that we're not left with lifelong questions. I'm not saying that. But some of us, if, if the correlation is only one-to-one, -one, God, here's my, my deepest need and you need to meet it, 
we're setting ourselves up for failure because God is doing so much more that if we can see it, then we would trust him in a way that actually empowers us to face those really hard situations. Um, and so when I say this man's faith deepened, in verse 53, that verse ends, it says, he himself believed and all of his household. So that's the progression that I'm taking us through. Jesus says, you'll not believe unless you see signs. But then it says, the man believed Jesus at his word, and he went. But now he no longer needs to believe Jesus, right? His son is healed. He can move on with the rest of his life. But when he realizes that God was working in a broader way, it says he himself believed in all his household. This is the language of conversion. Not simply now I trust that Jesus can heal people. Not that the miracle worker can actually do miracles. But actually he's encountered something that, that has made him more of a, of, an, of a willing disciple. And so think about those words of this man in verse 49. Sir, come down before my child dies. What a desperate plea. Um, and Jesus honors it. He doesn't come down, but the boy lives. Then you think about the other gospel writers where those who wanted to test Jesus say something similar, but this time he's on the cross. And they say, if you are the son of God, come down. If you live, we will believe you. That will be a sign. You, you claim to have power. If you are the son of God, come down so that you can live and we'll believe you. And that's what's remarkable. Here's another story where Jesus didn't come down. The passage we're looking at today, Jesus didn't come down and the child lived. In the gospel accounts, Jesus did not come down from the cross so that the son of God would not live, but so that we can. And that's a radical difference. That's the trustworthiness of Jesus. Jesus doesn't always come down because we demand him to. And yes, what a remarkable sign if you could remove yourself from the cross um, before our sins were forgiven. We would believe, but what would we believe? That you're powerful. Now we believe that he loves us, that his power is not simply to come down from the cross, but, but to use the cross as the means of transforming the world, that, that those of us who aren't good enough, those of us who are helpless, those of us who are failing, find because of his power and strength and grace, his truthfulness, that now he didn't come down so he would experience death so that we do not have to fear that one day we will go down into the grave alone, helpless, uh, to answer for our lives. And, and that's what helps us to see that Jesus is trustworthy. Why can you trust him with your current question? Why can you trust him to shape your ethics? Why can you trust Jesus to be the one who, uh, whose presence with you can be sufficient in certain periods? Uh, well, Jesus is the one who... Um, he heals us. He brings renewal to the world at such cost that the sign is not simply that he can endure a lot of pain, but that he loves in ways that, that we don't see. And once we grasp that, then following Jesus and taking the next scary step where you say, well, I'm not sure I understand this. I'm not sure what you're doing. But you realize if, if he's providing for me forgiveness, if he's providing for me my daily needs, if he is watching over me, if there's an inheritance, if there's a resurrection, then in this desperate moment, I could cry out in all of my humanity, please, Lord, help. But you don't feel like you need to control him. God could be free to be God. And that becomes comforting when you realize uh, at the limits of your own control, I do not need to be the one who calls the shots in this situation. I can trust God. That's the kind of faith that is anchored. If your faith is in this moment, unless you do this, it's, it's a very precarious faith. You might be testing God. But when you stop testing God and you start trusting God, 
then you realize God over time will, he will demonstrate that um, he is faithful. I heard a story this week of someone, sort of an odd situation, a, a guy who enjoys walking in the woods in the middle of the night, two in the morning. This is not a guy who lives in New York City. Um, but apparently one of the challenges though for him, what he loves as he leaves his home and he approaches the woods is the moonlight and the stars and he could see the forest and he could see the skies, but as soon as he gets into the woods, he can't see two feet in front of him. And so in order to not trip, he needs to turn on a flashlight, but as soon as he turns on the flashlight, he could see the next 10 feet, but then he can't see everything else. He, he loses the forest, he loses the stars. And so he has the desire to see both at the same time. I'd like to encourage him to walk at noon after, after a, a morning coffee or, or go at two after lunch, have a nap. Uh, if you would like to see everything. But there he is uh, in that moment that either he could take it all in or he can know this next moment. Yes, most of us, we want to go through life being able to understand everything God says, to see his provision. There are times in life where we can't see it all. And we need to see the bigness of God and his promises and his purposes. But we also actually need to focus on this thing in front of us. That's the concern. And it's not wrong for us to say, oh, Lord, right now, I just need to know that if I take the next step, I'm not going to fall. But sometimes in the doing of that, it's hard to take in that, but, but God is still there. The, the moon is still in the, in the sky. The, the whole forest still exists. Uh, there's far more that you could hear that you can't see. And, and Psalm 119, the word of God is a lamp to our feet. You know, sometimes you don't know the next faithful decision. And so you pray and you wrestle and, and Jesus says, trust me. <laughs> Speak the truth, love, forgive, uh, act with boldness, whatever it may be that you sense, here's the next thing I need to do, but I don't know why, and I'm not sure I want to, and I'm afraid of how it will come out. But we need to have the kind of faith that says, even right now, if I don't know that God is upholding the whole universe, I've come to know God well enough to know that it's true. And so sometimes you don't need to worry about what's in front of you because God is taking care of you. Rejoice. Um, but there are times that all you can do is focus on the next step. Um, but for us to take that step with a measure of confidence, we need to recognize the truthfulness, the mercy, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ, who promises that he will be our shepherd. Jesus and John says, I am the door. So some of us think, good, I'm going to go through Jesus, but then walk my own way. Jesus also says, I'm the good shepherd. I will lead you. And that's when our faith deepens. That's, that's when we move beyond just in, or satisfying our curiosities or having a principle that makes our lives better to really being oriented to the world where, where we can be deep, where we can change, where we can grow. And so when Jesus says, don't be anxious, he's not saying because the thing that you fear won't happen, but, but because God is doing things that you don't see, that you don't understand. And so don't worry only about one thing. So if you're worried about one thing, Speak to God, be faithful, trust him. But while you're worrying, step back and realize God is, is doing a lot more and, and you can trust him. And, and that, that depth of faith is what will prove over time that you're living wisely if you're following Christ. If this is hard for you, don't feel guilt. Take the next step though. Um, when you follow Jesus, he will prove over time that he's trustworthy. And so I just wanna encourage that kind of faith. Let me pray for us. Our Father, all of us are here with questions, with fears, with doubts. Maybe they're of a different nature. We have different backgrounds. We're wired in different ways. Um, some of us may be here with such great confidence that we don't necessarily know how uh, Christianity could improve our lives. And yet the truth is we're all vulnerable. 
There's so much that we don't understand, so much that we can't control. And Lord, we're grateful that you're patient with us, that you are kind, that you are a provider, that you speak the truth, that you are generous, that you are forgiving. So many things, Lord, help us to take hold of the fullness of what you offer to us so that we would not be weak, but that we would be strengthened. And Lord, help us this week to, um, to move forward, seeing everything that we can. But we just join with anyone here who is grappling with whatever next step may be. Uh, Lord, may your word speak truth into their lives so that they would have something to hold on to. And so may we all see your faithfulness. May we all live with gratitude this week. Uh, but show us mercy that, um, that those of us who are, are a bit anxious this week, we might have that peace that passes understanding. Um, thank you for that possibility. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.